You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. We're glad you're here. I'm, I'm wearing my, my brave shirts. I want to explain a little bit about my brave shirt and my jeans today. Um, I wanted to s- celebrate God first and foremost every time we gather as a church, but also wanted to celebrate our Atlanta sports. Even though we've only won one championship in the history of Atlanta sports, I thought it was a great time to do that. If you saw the Braves play last night, what a great comeback. They've just been playing great. It's been an enjoyable experience, you know, for, for me and, and my family, and I hope for you too. I've also got to say to you, today's worship, wow. I mean, we could have the benediction and just walk out those doors and proclaim the gospel just from that time of worship together. So I I want to thank um, our our worship pastor, Doug, and I want to thank Barry and Daniel and and Hutch and and Kelly. Gosh, Hutch and Kelly, thank you for joining us today. And they are amazing. That's Mother and son, if you didn't know that, and, and Drew breaking it down on the bass over there, and you know, Craig, he just can play the drums, man. You're just good. He's got some of his family with us today, so, so thank you for, um, for leading us today. We really appreciate you all so much. You know, it, it can be tough being an Atlanta sports fan at times. I know it is for you, but you know, when I moved here to Atlanta in 2002, I immediately became an Atlanta sports fan. I said, you know, if I'm going to live in Atlanta... I'm going to go for the teams whether they win or lose or not. So I, I immediately became a Falcons fan, a, a Hawks fan, a, a, a Braves fan. At that time, the Atlanta Thrashers were here. So I was really yeah. enjoying professional sports for the first time because I was a South Carolina boy. We didn't have any professional sports. You know, the closest thing we had was the Greenville Braves, which is where I first saw Chipper Jones play, by the way, and hit a home run through the tire. And so, uh, you know, so it was exciting to be. I went to my first NBA basketball game in, uh, in 2002, and I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. So um, I'm at this game several years ago. It's the Atlanta Hawks, and it's the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics have just won the world championship, and they have the big three. You may be saying, who are the big three? Well, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, and they are unstoppable. The Hawks, on the other hand, we have finished last in the Eastern Conference for several years in a row. We're just not any good. But yet, that particular year, we had a brand new coach, and we had new players. We had Joe Johnson and Jeff Teague and Josh Smith and Zaza Pachulia. We had Mike Bibby. We had Al Horford. We had Mike Williams. We were loaded. But as my son and I were in, SJ and I were in the Phillips Arena, State Farm now, it was Phillips then, we noticed this sea of green, all these Celtics fans. And I thought, wait a minute, we're in Atlanta. What are all these people in Boston here doing? What's going on? SJ said, Dad, these are, these are bandwagon fans. They don't really like Boston. They just, Boston won a championship. I said, oh, okay. Well, it just so happened that the Hawks, we were the eighth seed and the Celtics were the number one seed. Guess what? The Hawks won that game that night. It was exciting. Zaza Pachulia and Kevin Garnett got in a fight. It was not good to see, but for some people, they enjoy that. And it was just an amazing game. But I will never forget the camera it, it span around the, uh, the audience there, the crowd, and it zoomed in on one man. They, they put him up on the, the mega screen, and I think this was also played on Fox Sport and ESPN. And he had a sign, and he was smiling, and the sign said, I was here when nobody else was. I was here when nobody else was. You know, and I thought about that for a moment. That's, that's how it is with sports fans. 
You know, we, we like a winner. And so when our team starts winning, and the Hawks won that game, and they went on to the second round, I believe, and the next time we went to the game, the stadium, the, the arena was filled with Hawks fans all of a sudden. Where did all these people come from? You know, they all had their shirt on. They just bought them. They still had the tags on them. So you have those kind of people in the world today. I want to say to you what a treasure it is to be a part of a church that's not filled with fair-weather fans. You're in it for the long haul. You know what I'm saying? Jesus knew what it was to deal with fair-weather fans. You know, he began to share these difficult details of his ministry, and many of his followers, they just became disenchanted. They weren't interested in hearing what he was saying. You know, they were ready to crown him king. They wanted to push him into the political arena. They wanted him to establish his kingdom in the world, and they wanted him to do it right then. They didn't want to wait on him doing that. So they weren't in it for the long haul. They wanted it to happen immediately. So one by one, they sensed that he was not going to give them what they wanted, and they just walked away. They drifted away. They left Jesus. Even some of his closest followers left him. They lost their enthusiasm. This was alarming. John writes, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus says, You don't want to leave me too, do you? He says that to his disciples. And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Don't we love Simon Peter? I mean, his enthusiasm and his, his dedication to Jesus. Whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. You know, sometimes he spoke before he thought, but he was certainly in it for the long haul. His commitment was not momentary. It wasn't a fleeting experience, you know. His commitment wasn't just when things were going good. He was in it for the long haul. And we know he had some doubt. We know he had some struggles. But don't we all? But yet we still believe. We do believe in God the Father and Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit and the resurrection and the Holy Bible and the blood of Jesus. We believe even though there are times when we struggle and we face difficulty. And if we're honest, we have doubt about what the next day is going to bring for us. What a treasure it is, though, here at Misty Creek. You have a very special kind of faith, a faith that will be rewarded. Indeed, it's really the kind of faith that counts. You see, for you, the building is secondary. I know we don't necessarily have the space that you would like us to have. I know sometimes it's, it's inconvenient to go downstairs to go to the bathroom. I know it's inconvenient maybe to sit outside when it's a little bit hot out there or maybe a lot hot. I know that. But for you, that doesn't matter because your feet are on the rock. You see, the primary thing that you desire to do is share the love of Christ with others, to serve people, to, to make those lunches, to get those backpacks put together. What else can I do? How else can I serve? How else can I be a part of what God is doing? That's your attitude. Isn't it a wonderful attitude? And if you want to come and wear jeans, you can, or shorts, or a t-shirt, or a tank top. You're welcome as you are, and you love it, don't you? We have fun at church, don't we, Glenn? I mean, we have fun. We have a good time. We're not stoic. We're not, we're not stuck in some pew, you know, where we can't move. Oh, if I raise my hand, somebody will look at me funny. So you continue to pocket praise, but eventually you start hand-raising because you can't, you can't hold back. 
the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, and before you know it, you just, you're undignified before the Lord. I will sing, I will dance before my king. I don't care who sees it and what they say, because it's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's a matter of perspective, my dear friend Barry says that. It's a matter of perspective. Seeing through the eyes of Christ and no longer your fleshly, human eyes. And Peter saw something in Jesus that was grandiose, that was magnificent, that was holy, that was eternal, that was real. Jesus was the direct representation of God Almighty. And I can say boldly to every one of you in this building and outside and watching online, you are a direct representation of God Almighty, created in his image, endowed with his Holy Spirit and his power. Wow. Let that sink in for a little bit. Man, you have a very special faith, don't you? You know... Life is it's like a marathon. There are a lot of hurdles. There are a lot of obstacles that we deal with. And sometimes we do. We do struggle to stay faithful. Like with our sports team. I just don't know. They made all those trades. They got a new owner. I, don't, I just don't know if I can follow them anymore. I'm going to remain an Atlanta Hawks fan no matter what. It would be easy for me to pull for the Lakers, you know, or for the Dallas Mavericks or the Clippers because they have franchise players. But no. I'm true to Atlanta, and I'm going to go for my Atlanta team. Now, you know where my allegiances are when, when it comes to college, and we don't have to go there right now. I'm a South Carolina boy. I can't help it. I was born and raised that way. But I'm going to be true to who I am as a Christian as well, more so than any sports or anything else. You know, if those sports teams and everything else and entertainment all replace my intimacy, my time with God, then there is a problem there. My intimacy and my time with God, my devotion to his word should always outweigh all of those other things. I should get more excited about expressing my gratitude and my love for Jesus Christ than I do about, hey, the Braves won last night, you know? Jesus saved me. He made me a new person, a new creation. He's washed me whiter than soap. No, I'll never be the same. He brought me out of the miry clay, out of the pit, and he set my feet on solid rock. I'm on fire because of him. Let me tell you about his love and how he loves you no matter what you've done. That's passion for Christ more so than sitting in a stadium somewhere cheering, which you're probably not going to do for a very long time anyway. <laughs> so what does it mean to be in it for the long haul? Because you know we get cancer. We have heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, just like everybody else. We watch our family members suffer. We've lost loved ones that are close to us. Husbands, fathers, daughters, sons, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, all of us, we've experienced that in our life. So we're not exempt from those things just because we're followers of Christ and our, our feet are on the rock. At such times, we need faith for the long haul. Life is not easy, folks. You might know the story of comic actor Jim Carrey. He's one of my favorite actors. Now, it's really tempting for me to go into my comedic monologue of Jim Carrey because I'm a Jim Carrey impersonator, but I'm going to hold back. Okay, I'm not going to... Well, I don't know. Barry, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> All 
righty then. Lehu is the her. It's good. Smoking. I could keep going, but I'm not. Some of you are in the clouds like, what is he talking about? Now, I don't always agree with Jim Carrey on his you know, political beliefs and things, but I've got to tell you a little bit about Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey grew up in an impoverished home. He didn't have hardly anything. His mother was very ill. He was funny from an early age. Matter of fact, he would make his classmates laugh. And his mom and dad weren't making a lot of money, so he decided to go to a local comedy club at age 14, but they booed him off the stage. That had lasting effects on Jim Carrey. His father lost his accounting job. His family was forced out of their home. His father could only find work as a security guard. And so his family, fortunately enough, they could live there on the grounds of where his dad worked at the factory. So Jim and his other siblings, they cleaned the plant at night to make a little bit of money themselves. When his mother became ill and bedridden, Jim stayed home from school to care for her. Now Jim had an audience of one, his mother, and so he worked extra hard to entertain her, and it worked. It helped her. Then his father lost the security job, and so they were forced out of their home, and they were living in the back of the Volkswagen van that they had. At age 17, Jim Carrey returned to that same comedy club that had laughed at him. And this time, he wasn't booed off the stage. They stood up and gave him an applause. In 1985, he moved to Los Angeles. The rest, of course, is history. You may know about this audacious act he performed when he first went to Los Angeles. That year, in 1985, he wrote himself a check for $10 million, dating at Thanksgiving 1995. He did this in 1985. He kept that check in his wallet, determined that he would be able to cash it one day. And true to his dream, in 1994, when his father passed away, Jim placed that check into his father's casket. I like to know where his father's buried. No, that's a bad joke. He had already made more than $10 million with just one film. You remember it, don't you? Dumb and Dumber. Who couldn't remember that one? That film grossed $350 million. It's still making money. And some of you watch and say, this is ridiculous. Well, ridiculously rich is what he became from that movie. You know, we cherish such successful stories because they remind us that it's possible to take a bad situation and turn it around. Others have done it. Many of you have done it, if not all of you. And so we can do this. But we need to remember that life isn't just a sprint. It's a marathon. Success comes to those who are willing to hang in there when the going gets rough. One of the worst things that we can do, or one of the worst things that happens to us in life, is when we have all those successes early in life. And we begin to think all of life is going to be this way. We're going to continually be successful and have everything, not that just we need, but also what we want. But it's not that way. Life is hard, and eventually, if not already, life will become hard for you. There will be some moments where you're down and out and depressed, and maybe you don't even want to live anymore. Those moments can come. You can leave out of here today on a high and by Wednesday, something could happen. Somebody could say something to you. Somebody could speak death over you, and you feel worthless and useless. That happens. But if we change our perspective and our attitude and our faith and realize my purpose in life 
is not to please everybody. It's to please God. That's my purpose in life. And so I'm in it for the long haul in my faith, no matter what transpires, no matter what happens. And the great secret in life is not how we begin, but it's how we finish. You know, many of us are very good starters. We have talent. We have enthusiasm. We start off with a, a, a burst of promise. But sustaining that good beginning, that's the problem. That's true in our commitment to Christ, to our marriage partner, in work, in a, in a host of other endeavors. How are we at finishing? I mean, in your marriage, do you tell your spouse every day, I love you, I appreciate you, I could not live without you? Do you do that every day? You're nudging each other now. You haven't done that in months, honey. What's wrong with you? You know? Do it. It works. Speak life over your spouse. Appreciate them. Your children, appreciate them and speak life over them. Your friends, your coworkers, remind them that they have value, that they are important. Wow. You know, several years ago, there was a, a man who was stranded in the ocean off the coast of South Kakalaki. We call it South Carolina. But anyway, for, for, for 45 hours, Robert Louis Washington clung to a life raft. He could hold on no longer. He slipped off the little raft into the ocean where he drowned. Now, about 10 minutes later, the raft was spotted by the Coast Guard. His partner, Palmer, Greg Palmer, was willing to hold on just a little longer and Palmer was rescued. He was saved by the Coast Guard, and they took him to a hospital in Charleston, and he recovered 100%. But like so many people, Watson gave up too soon, 10 seconds too soon, and he slipped into the water. I can't help but think of that Titanic episode, you know, when Leo's hanging on to the raft there, you know, and, and um, Kate, she's, she's not the raft, just a big old piece of wood, and I'm like, just climb up onto the, the thing, the piece of furniture, and you'll live. But he didn't. He died, and he sank off into the bottom. I'm thinking, man... What's wrong with you? It's huge. It's a big piece of furniture. But yet the movie wouldn't have been as powerful if, if he had lived and survived. Yet this guy, if he'd have just hung on for 10 more seconds. Has that happened to you? Maybe you've been doing Run for God and you, and you started doing the jogging and you, you've gotten to, there's 20 seconds left in the fourth jog. You're like, oh, I just can't do it anymore. And then somebody comes alongside you. you got this. Only 20 more seconds. You can do this. You're like, 20 more. I can do this, 20 more seconds, and you do it, and the feeling is, yes, yes, yesterday. This is not in the notes or anything else. Yesterday, I was invited to go for a jog. I thought like a two- or three-mile jog with Sean Hardister and Lance Franklin, if they're watching today. I think Lance is. And um, so I thought we were going to go like for a two-mile run. Well, Sean is a marathon runner. We went 5.2 miles. It's a long run, way down, all the way to Holy Innocent School and back. And uh, thankfully, the the, the we went to breakfast with the Connellys, and I, I had the biggest platter you can imagine after that, so that, that set me free, thank God. But you know, uh, sometimes we need the encouragement of somebody else, and those guys encouraged me. Man, you got this. You can do this. And I did it, thanks be to God. Am I sore today? Am I paying for it? Yes, but I finished. And that's the important thing, finishing and finishing well. And you can have some pride in that. Not that overconfident swagger pride, but pride that I accomplished something great. I made 20 lunches for a shelter downtown, or 50, or 10, or 5, or even 1. You accomplished something. You did something for the cause of Christ. That's being in it for the long haul. Man, you know, many of us make a mistake 
when we think, I just can't do this. I don't have the strength. I, I don't have the power. It's impossible. No, you don't. In your own strength, you can't do one thing. You would fall flat on your face every time. But God, through you, by his power, you can accomplish anything. With God, all things are possible. There's nothing impossible with him. You always do the possible. You take that message, even if it's somebody with a deaf ear, you take that message of the gospel, you don't give up on that person that's struggling, and God will do the impossible. He will infuse himself into that person, and they'll believe. It may take a while, but they will become believers. If you are steadfast and deliberate in your evangelism, don't ever give up on sharing the gospel of Christ with anybody. There's a fairy tale that's entitled, A Tale for Tired Gentlemen. The main character in the story is a man named George Lord. George, George has led a wasted life filled with greed, gambling, superficial relationships, broken promises to women, as well as too much alcohol. One day he's enjoying this lavish meal, this smorgasbord of a meal with his lover. It's not his wife, it's his lover. They're having this meal. And all of a sudden, he notices this gorgeous, beautiful, young, innocent woman. She walks in, and he immediately falls in love. He desperately wants to marry her. You can imagine the scene. He's got his lover at the table with him. He's eating all his food, and this woman walks in this gorgeous, and just all of a sudden, he falls in love. Of course, this is a tale. It's a fairy tale. And he falls in love with her. He desperately wants to marry her, but she has vowed only to marry a man with the face of a saint. <laughs> the face of a saint. And so he decides he's going to do something because he doesn't have the face of a saint. So he goes by this mask shop. You know what a mask is? Anybody know what a mask is? Yes, you do. He goes by this mask shop, and he, he has the owner of the mask shop create a lifelike wax mask that he believes will allow him to look like a saint. <laughs> you know? So he has it created. And so he returns to the woman who's won his heart. His, he proposes to her, and she accepts this marks the beginning of a moral conversion in George Lord's life. He donates much of his money to the poor. He repays everyone he's cheated. He treats kindly people whom have never noticed he's never noticed before. In short, he enters into a way of life that a saint would have. Sometime later, though, his old lover sees him and seeks to unmask him before his wife. A struggle ensues. The mask is tossed to the ground, and his old lover laughs in triumph. He must turn and face his wife. But when he does, he's shocked by her question. She asks, why did you have a mask created precisely like your own countenance? Hmm. While he sought to live like a saint, an unknown, unseen power had been at work. He had grown into his mask, into his face. Maybe there's somebody in this room who's hoping to grow into the face that you have shown the world. Maybe you are hoping to grow into your mask. Maybe you're ready to take off that mask and breathe deep the breath of God and be who he's created you to be in the first place and quit being phony. Be real and vulnerable and transparent. You know, we are blessed. Doug and I and many of our men in the church are blessed to be a part of a dynamic, transformational men's group. And we're going to be starting back on August the 31st with a dinner together, and we're going to watch a movie produced by Tony Evans and start our study again. In that men's group, 
we have the most intimacy, vulnerable times with one another, sharing our brokenness, sharing our celebrations, not afraid to be emotional and sensitive in that group. And ladies and gentlemen, we've got a group of men in this church. They are kingdom men. They are disciples of Jesus Christ, and they're on fire. It is humbling to see that and to be a part of that. They've taken off that mask. And now they reflect Jesus Christ, not necessarily in their physical appearance, but in their countenance, in, in their demeanor. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of them. I am. I'm looking at Robert Dick, who every Saturday meets out here to load up the, the lunches. Gets in the truck, we get all hot and sweaty, then he, we jump in the car and we, we drive downtown. It's either me or Richard with him. Sorry, Richard, but I don't know about driving with you, buddy. Um, it is, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. And I think of people like Bruce Duff. He shows up every single week to get the big TV set up outside and run the cable and get things ready for online and live. And he does all that because he loves Jesus and he's growing in his faith. I think, I think of Carl Culpepper, who's out under the tent right now, who, who edits and puts together the, all these videos. You know how much time that takes to do that? It's meticulous in how he does that. And he does it because he loves Jesus. Man, I want to invite you, if you've not already taken the opportunity to be a part of such a group, even if you can't be there in person, to Zoom with us. Because God is moving. And our women are doing something like this too. It's women rooted in Christ. They're going to meet in homes and have small groups together. Get involved in something where you can be with other believers and bring in some non-believers. Anybody off the street. Because that's what we're about. You know, I believe, I'm going to say this, Christina. I believe in a few weeks we will have a shelter represented from one of our shelters, a shelter, rep shelter representative here to share and talk with us live in person what God is doing. And it just started with a, a little lunch. Remember Jesus and the loaves and the fishes and what he did? You see what I mean? For those who are in it for the long haul, for those who are not fair-weather fans, for those who hang in there, he's going to bless you immeasurably beyond what you ever thought. Faith is hanging in there when the day looks dark and the options are limited because you know that somehow God is at work in your life. You know how it feels when you get back in the car or get home after wearing your mask at Walmart? You know, at school all day for seven or eight grueling hours. You take it off. That's what it's like when you encounter the true cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Breathe in the grace of God and breathe out his praise. It sets us free. God's at work in your life. So have you decided that by the grace of God, you're here for the long haul? Have you placed yourself in God's hands and you say with Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where do you want us to go next? What do you want us to do next? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what faith is all about. Life is a marathon. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Faith has to do with both having a great race and an even greater finish. Going to bed at night, 
giving God a high five and saying, we did it together, Lord. We did it together. And sleeping for the first time all night long because you have no guilt, you have no fear, you have no shame because you've surrendered it all to the rock, Jesus Christ. The writer of Revelation puts God's promise to us about finishing the race like this. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. That's faith for the long haul. The only kind of faith that really counts. You know, our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his blood and his righteousness. Faith is trusting Christ alone. He is our cornerstone. He is in it with you for the long haul. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Even when it seems that life is put on hold, he's saying, you got this. We got it together. I will get you across that hurdle. Come on, let's go. I'll take you by the hand. We'll cross that finish line together. I'll never forget this scene in the movie, Bruce Almighty. Morgan Freeman plays God. Who, who better to play God than Morgan Freeman? I mean, come on. Shawshank Redemption. Y'all know that movie. Okay, and so Bruce Nolan, played by Jim Carrey, he's been endowed with all of God's power, but he's overwhelmed by it. And so he kneels in the middle of a highway, and he says, Lord, the gloves are off. I can't do this anymore. I surrender to your will. Are you ready to surrender to his will? You ready to take the gloves off and realize I can't do this alone? I heard a brilliant sermon by my father-in-law that talked about that very thing yesterday. Kieran played it, to, played it for me on the phone as we were driving downtown to have dinner with Emmy House. Kieran doesn't know it, but it touched my heart to hear what he said. Why did you come to church today? I mean, really? Did you come hoping that God would speak to you? That he would speak to you through this beautiful music that's inspired, that's transformational? Why? I believe you came to church, you may not even know this, to completely surrender to his will. So I want you to stand right now and I just want you to lift your hands up. We don't do things like normal at Mystic Creek. We just don't. We get up and we lift our hands up. And we have a good time and we have fun. And I just want you with me. Let's close our eyes and let's together say it boldly. I want us to say together on the count of three, Lord, you're going to say it yourself. This is for you. I surrender to your will. On the count of three, one, two, three. Lord, I surrender to your will. I don't know if you meant it that time. This time I want you to take a deep breath and breathe it out and say right now, Lord, I surrender to your will. Amen. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.